What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Healthy Scratch Podcast on Hot Sauce Sports. My name is Spencer Plumado. I'm Tyler O'Connor. I'm Chris Jostakelis. And we are Healthy Scratch. Today, we have a special episode. This is uh, our analytics episode. We've been kicking this around for, for months now. Um, we're going to be doing a deep dive into analytics, and we're going to be trying to explain it to the layperson, which is myself and Tyler as well, I think. Um, we and we have a special guest today uh, to bring on. He works for SportLogic. Uh, it's a friend of Chris and, and Ty's. Anthony Pacheri, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Hey. Uh, listen, thank you for coming on, first of all. And we're looking forward to, to, to what's coming here. We got uh, we got a pretty stacked show, so we're going to get the, the Habs and Leafs talk out of the way first. Uh, we're not going to go into too much detail here. Let's just cover a little bit about the recent news. Let's talk about the Leafs first. Uh, the biggest thing that I'm noticing is Rasmus Sandin, and obviously Freddie Anderson is coming back. Chris? What's been your take on Sandine's breakout and with Anderson coming back, what do you think is going to happen there with him and Campbell? Well, I was trying to think of the uh, minimum amount of games needed to qualify for the Norris Trophy. I don't think he'll cut it. He deserves it. He's unreal. <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's been really good, really surprising. He's been fast. He's a really good skater, and he's already taken Morgan Riley's spot on the first power play. So, I mean, how much do you want from a 21-year-old? Yeah, you can't ask for much more. I mean, that's been a, a hell of a debut. Freddie Anderson. How are you feeling about him coming back and the situation with Jack Campbell? Who do you think is going to be getting the starts as we get into the playoffs? Anderson just let in two of the softest goals I've seen in the AHL. I would assume it's going to be Jack Campbell. And I but, hope it's Jack Campbell. But that was I'm done AHL. with Freddie. I don't, want, I don't want to see it. That was the AHL. He's, he, it doesn't count. This is different from the NHL. <laughs> yeah, it's worse. No, Ty, it's different. No, it's substantially worse. <laughs> Speaking of bad, the Habs, nah, they've been, well, you know, honestly, like, look, I got to say, c- considering the injuries, they've been better lately, right? Like yeah. it's, it's been better than it had been, uh, the last show we did, which is, which is encouraging. They're all but clinched, which isn't really a, it's not saying much. It's kind of just Cole Caulfield has been, has been great. Uh, that's been something to see. I mean, obviously he's, he's not uh, a superstar yet, but he's not to say he's going to be a superstar necessarily, but he's looking good out there. And he's got those two game winners that really have got the city buzzing Ty and Anthony, you're, you're a Habs fan too as well, right? Yeah, that's correct. Perfect. So first I'm going to ask Ty and then Anthony, how are you guys feeling about the Habs lately? They keep on breaking my heart, which I should be used to by now, but honestly, like, like you said, Spence, they've been playing better as of late, at least all things considered um, anyway, all yeah. things considered. And I mean, like the only thing I really will say is like, I get there are a lot of injuries to some very key players, but like, I don't know. I look at the lines that they're rolling out every night. And I know we talked about it last night. Like some of these combinations don't make a lot of sense. There are more combinations that I can come up with in my head that seem to complement these players. Josh Anderson, Dano, and Caulfield, that line doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Lekkanen, Kukkanen, and Jake Evans doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That ancient fourth line, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, there just seems to be some questionable decisions with the lineup. And I mean, even if you look at their goaltending situation, like, Allen's playing again tonight. The guy needs a rest. No, Primo's playing tonight. On NHL, they got they've got Allen starting. Uh, pre, Ducharme said Primo's playing tonight, oh, okay, cool. and, and okay. Tatar is back in playing with Caulfield and. Dino. Okay, cool. Okay, That's perfect. awesome. I didn't I know that. As well, Ty. Regardless, like even further to the point, why why is Primo playing tonight? Like I understood you might have wanted to play Allen last night because you thought maybe you could squeeze out an easier win and like really clinch the spot, but like he clearly needed rest. And I don't know, man. Like it's just little situations like that. Now Primo's kind of getting tossed to the wolves against one of the te- one of the best teams in the league, and it's just I don't know. There's some questionable decisions being made. I find. 
I wonder if it's not a bit of a show of, of faith for Primo that they're they're yeah maybe it is and you know what like look like goaltending's weird there's a universe out there where they put him in against Ottawa last night and he gets absolutely bombarded and then they play him against the Leafs tonight and he looks like an all star like goaltending's weird like that it's yeah. just Allen's the guy that's been dragging you through the season all all year and like there's again, definitely that's been, just one there's definitely been some questionable lineup decisions it's it's been I mean it's been interesting you know we went from lines that just would not change no matter what the hell happened to lines that are changing but we don't agree with them so and, and like I mean, look like look the one silver lining i will say is that like like you said spence they've looked better as of late they've got a couple nice comeback wins in in recent memory and say what you will about weber price and duane but they've still been doing that without two of their better forwards in tatar and gallagher and if tatar yeah. is coming back tonight like chris said and gallagher is supposed to be coming back by playoff time that's almost a nice little you know like if the team can turn it around without them and then you're throwing them back in the mix when hockey matters the most, like that could give you the extra boost you need. Yeah. I mean, since the deadline, we've known that like, we're not going to be able to see this team in its final form until the playoffs start, yeah. right? Once Gallagher's yeah. back and we've got everyone in the salary yeah. cap is gone. So it's going to, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, I'm excited. I'm glad Tatar is back tonight. The line is going to be uh Tatar Deno Caulfield, which is another one that I don't fully love, but again, it's, it's I, probably better than, uh, Dano Anderson Caulfield. Uh, Anthony, how are you feeling about the Habs lately? Yeah, kind of going on uh, what Tyler said. It's like you have confidence in them a night or two nights in a row, and then one night they just break your heart. They're not consistent enough for me. I don't know. They're just even like I don't mind if, if they lose and they try. But when they lose, it seems like everyone just doesn't care anymore. Yeah. So that 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 part's concerning for me, and uh, I agree with Ty on on the lines. I just I don't understand how Stahl can still be in the lineup after seeing how Evans can play. I'm all for the experience, but I don't know why that guy's got to take a position of a guy who earns it way more in Jake Evans. But uh, other than that, you would that, think down yeah. the stretch too, like there's more motivation to give him some time to rest, right? Especially if his game has not looked. I mean, he doesn't look like the Stahl from last year, and he's he's at an know. age where he very well might not be the Stahl from last year, but you want to have him as rested as possible. You might as well give Evans those. Still, still remains the worst forward actively playing more than 12 minutes a night in the NHL by numbers. And, and he's you know taking what? away ice time of guys who deserve it way more. Yeah, like, I, don't, yeah. I don't mind in practice. You help out the centers. You Maybe you're a voice in the room, but you're taking ice time away from young guys who the Habs are going to need in the future big time. In yeah. Kotkaniemi, Evans. Suzuki. It also just kind of seems like what Anthony said. He's been no good, and Michael Froelich has barely been a hockey player since joining here. And he, they, like I was watching them last night, and they kind of dragged Perry into that too. And it's not his fault, but like Perry doesn't have the legs anymore. He's being productive because he's being played with guys who can use their speed, and and it just seems like I don't know. Like Perry was kind of invisible last night too, and that's something that we haven't said very much this year. I right? gotta but say, I think that's, like that's heavily inflicted on the fact that he played with Stall and Froelich, two guys who have contributed for two points all season long. Yeah, I gotta say, on the note of Perry, quickly, like it's kind of remarkable that we're saying this at this. Like, there's like how the three, four games left in the season. Was it five? There's yeah. yeah. Like we've come this far, and it's only now that we're being like, oh, like his legs weren't under him. Like that's pretty impressive. I I did not expect Perry to take on this big of a role and to have this fresh of legs in that role this long. Like it's it's. Oh, he's rocked. Yeah, he's he's been something else. But again, it, it's it's to to Anthony's point, like it's all the more reason to play guys like Jake Evans, so you can give your veterans some rest as they get into the playoffs, so that they have mm-hmm. as much juice as possible going into them. Hopefully, we see that a little bit. I would I would I'd like it personally, honestly. I, I, some of the question, uh, some of the line decisions, like we've talked about, have been questionable. So hopefully, there's a bit of improvements there. 
let's get into the show because we got a we got a pretty good slate of stuff to talk about here. Chris, I'm gonna pass this over to you for the most part to to lead the way. Okay, so as a fan of analytics myself, not a mathematician, just I've been looking at this stuff for three four years now. A lot of the conversations that happen are super one sided, where it's either analytics are dumb and are never useful, or anyone who doesn't understand analytics is an idiot. There's a middle <laughs> ground to be had there somewhere. There's arrogance flying around. I'll do my best to explain the things that I think are important and that are useful to know if you're just looking at it slowly, uh, not overly interested in seeing all the little minute details, just the big things that people reference when they're talking about players that you'll see often on Twitter. So Spence had the idea where we would go through a few that I could name and, and explain them and they would ask questions. And we thought it'd be good to have someone smart like Pasheri on the side to further the things that I have to say, because I'm not always super clear. That's the plan here. We're just going to teach you the basics of some of the most commonly used stats so that you know what you're looking at when you see them on Twitter. The first thing that needs to be said is context is the most important tool in analytics. Sample size, games played, those things we need to keep into account when we're talking about someone's analytics. You can have a really good game and it looked nice in numbers, but if you play terrible for the other 40, your numbers aren't going to be good. Yeah. So I want you to keep in mind whenever you're looking at any analytic of any kind, always check for context. In using context, one of the first things you'll see often is a stat, some random number, and then it'll say per 60. Per 60 doesn't mean per game. It means per 60 minutes played. So you'll see that in like an expected goals, a Corsi, whatever. You want to know that that per 60 refers to that player or that team's 60 minutes played. The reason we use 60 is because, you know, a guy like Jake Evans plays, what, 12 minutes a night? That doesn't give us a large enough sample size to make sweeping statements about the way he plays. But if you count five games at 12 minutes a night, well, then you get 60 minutes and you get a general idea of what he's like. Five games is a better example than one. The other thing that's important, and it's something we'll see later on when I talk about plus minus, five on five is the most common gameplay. So we should always think of five on five numbers as most important. Goals for, goals against, shots share for, shots against, high danger chances for and against. Five on five, that's where like 50 of 60 minutes is played. Yeah. Those numbers are most important. What happens on the power play, on the penalty kill, yes, it has its own importance, but the majority of the game is played at five on five. A player's five on five numbers are his most important numbers. One, shooting percentage. All that means is for every shot on net, what's the amount of goals you've scored? If you got 100 shots on net and you score 10, your shooting percentage is 10%. For the average NHL player, it's about nine, 9.5. A really poor shooter will shoot like three. That's usually defensemen because their shots are coming from so far. They're unlikely to go in. Defense it's usually two or three percent someone like jeff petrie was shooting at 12 highly unsustainable but an elite player like a steven stamkos a patrick line a austin matthews they shoot around 13 14 and that's sustainable and how do we know that because they do it every year then there's the concept of replacement player you'll see that everywhere no one knows what it means <laughs> i'll give you the short answer okay replacement level is the average level of if you slotted your 13th forward into that position or your seventh defenseman. Basically like uh, the quality that you get from your best AHL player in forward or defense. So like if the Habs slotted Charles Udon into their lineup, that's a replacement level player. They'll give you like, that's the base for the amount of stats you want to look for in any particular situation. You will see often replacement level. That's what it's referring to. How much better is this player than if you slotted in a random AHL player? And if you're worse than that, well, that tells you something else too. Yeah, well, that's that's often you hear, right? You'll hear it most when you're seeing, or I I have anyway, when you're seeing a player. I mean, let's use Patrick Marlowe this year for the example, because that was the big hubbub when he won the 
or he got the record. He, he's below replacement level this year. So oftentimes you'll see veteran players like that or players that, you know, oftentimes it's a, he's far from an analytics darling, but coaches love the guy's old school hockey. So he's in the lineup. You'll see oftentimes that he's below replacement level because it's being compared to, again, like a, an AHLer that would be called up to replace him. That's where yeah, I'm so most guys like like right? uh, like in terms of gameplay, guys like Ryan Reeves or like Wayne Simmons this year is not having great numbers, but like right, they offer other things. So yes, their numbers are below replacement level. The other things, are, again, those intangibles that I'll yeah. never understand, those factor into a team's decision to play that guy or not. But let's say in terms of actual on ice product, like goals and assists and zone entries and exits stuff like that, he's below replacement right now. Okay, we've talked about PDO before too. PDO is a team metric that tells us how lucky or unlucky a team is. Usually you want to be at 100 and it's the combination of a team's save percentage and shooting percentage. So we said shooting percentage is around 9. Your save percentage should be around 9.10. So you get together 100. A really elite team can hit 101, 102, but that starts to be unsustainable. Like right now the Colorado Avalanche are 102 and a half. Okay. They have really good goaltending and also really good players, so it kind of makes sense. Vancouver's PDO is 97. That won't stay like that next year. It's an unlucky season. There's a lot of factors in that, but that's the kind of thing that we'll see next year get better. Yeah, they're kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum too, like Colorado and Vancouver. Colorado's so good and everything's going their way, whereas Vancouver's, you know, they're not, they're not so bad. I shouldn't, they're not, you know, bottom of the league, but they're... Not a great team this year, and the bad luck is just compounding everything, making it look worse than it actually is, I guess. Yeah, so like, if you want the best example of like how we know a team is lucky or unlucky, like in the first 10 games of the season, the Habs had a 105 PDO. Like we, we know that's unsustainable, but the next 10 games when we thought the world was on fire, they were at 96. Yeah, which is also, also unsustainable. unsustainable. On that point, that also applies to shooting percentage because, I mean, at the beginning of the year, let's take Petrie, for example, his shooting percentage, I don't know the exact number, but I'm sure it was very high. In his first five goals, he was shooting over 30%. So was Anderson and Toffoli to start the season. They were all over 30. So it's it's kind of, with those numbers, it's kind of how I like to use that information is I play a lot of fantasy hockey. I'm in a lot of leagues. So if I see a player has got crazy shooting percentage, I might try and send out a trade here and there just to see if someone will take him because I know it's going to regress back down yeah. to... 9.5 probably even lower just a point on that that's something that um sh- shooting percentage is used for a lot i know a few of my friends do that as well yeah to foley actually, actually you brought up a word there that I, that I wanted to use that i forgot to mention earlier regression that just means coming back to average coming back to normal both in a good or a bad way if you're way below your your normal you'll regress to the mean which is coming back to your usual self now we're getting into the fancies the ones that you see that have stupid names that shouldn't have stupid names. We've all heard of Corsi, the Corsi Wars. If you've been on Twitter long enough, they're also called the Julius Honka Wars. It's just a really stupid name for shot shares or shot attempts. Corsi is shot attempts for and against when a particular player, or sometimes you're talking about the whole team, is on the ice. Let's say there's 30 shots in a game. The Habs get 15. The Leafs get 15. Well, there's 30 Corsi situations, like 30 shot attempts and it's 50 50 because they've got half half if the leafs get 
60 out of 100 of them, then they're looking at 60%. When I say shot attempts, I'm talking about hitting the net, missing the net, or getting your shot blocked by defensemen. All of those count in Corsi. You'll see guys, uh, Duncan Keith made a joke about it once about gaming as Corsi by just taking random shots on net from terrible angles. It's not how that in theory works, but yes, you could technically game your Corsi if you just took a whole bunch of shots on net for, for no reason. It's Probably useful. And defeats, yeah, I was going to say, it kind of defeats the purpose of using it as a useful stat. But no one in the NHL is doing that because the just hurts your team. It doesn't make any right, sense to do exactly. that. And Corsi's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Corsi is not like falling out of favor, but it's not the, like I seem to see expected goals for a lot more than I see Corsi these days. Yeah, it's uh, kind of fallen behind on like the people's value of it being a, a predictive stat for like the success of a team or a player. But there's few people, one of them being Jay Fresh, who did like a recent study on like expected goals for from different models, like uh, Micah McCurdo's model. Money Puck's model, Evolving Wild's model, and he found Corsi is actually pretty close to indicating the reality of expected goals also. Wow. You but just quickly, it... I just, I want to touch on this actually. You mentioned different models for expected goals for, and that's one thing that I, I've wondered about. When you, like the models are basically the different factors that you take into account when you're uh, equating it, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll explain models because I actually have expected goals as one of the things we'll talk about. Right. It'll, okay. it'll be, so it'll okay. make more sense because that one is actually driven by the person doing the analysis of the data. It's not okay. just the, the data itself. Okay. And Chris, on that point, when we talk about expected goals, I have a little inside scoop from Sport Logic that I'll, I'll tell you what we do to kind of help track this. Nice. Perfect. So there you go. See, so that's the kind of thing that we'll talk about when we get there because it, yeah. it, it does change a little bit from Corsi. So, yeah, I've wondered about that. We'll get there. And what, one of the things that Spence brought up when we were talking about this stuff is how little we know what a good number versus a bad number is because you just see this guy's Corsi's 46. It's insane. Like, Corsi. What does that mean? Corsi's been around long enough that I've, you know, I think a lot of people have gathered that 50% is kind of the, the, the average, right? But yeah, so well, it's not necessarily the average. It's just what you want out of a player. You want a player to be on the ice for at least right, half the yeah. shots yeah. for and against. It's better if he's on the ice for more shots for than against. Yeah. That's great. It, just being at 50 isn't that great. But if you're under, that's where the problems start. You know, if you're getting shelled consistently, that's where the problem. And I just want so, like, that I, is one of the things that, that has driven me nuts. And I feel like there's there's a lot of room for improvement there is the access to information that it that just sort of gives you the, the basic details of what these stats mean, you know, like just knowing what a good number is for this stat. You know, you see sometimes, like I've seen on TSN, like I they, they showed, I forget what stat it was, and I spoke to you about it afterwards, and like they hadn't even used it in a very good way. Like they're presenting it and just leaving it like that for the audience to to understand on their own, but it wasn't even the best way to use it, if I recall correctly. I can't remember what the stat was. But yeah, it's, 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 as it's... a general disclaimer, if you're watching stats on a live broadcast, if it doesn't come out of the mouth of Mike Johnson or Ray Ferraro, don't listen. There you go. Yeah, they will. They will provide no context for it. They'll use it the wrong way. It'll show the wrong part of what they're trying to convey. If it's not Mike Johnson or Ray Ferraro as a rule of thumb right now, it doesn't help you. And not only them, but are not them. They're they're good, but the other guys who you're telling the listeners not to listen to, what they'll do a lot of the times too, and and I've seen this on Twitter as well, is they'll kind of manipulate the numbers to make it to prove their point. You know, like mm, they won't yeah. just give you the numbers as they are. They'll try. They'll manipulate them in a way that makes what their point is seem more real and more valid. Yes, yeah. it's entirely correct. Which is why we talked about context at the beginning. If you see someone pull up someone's course in the last in the last three games, don't listen to that. That doesn't tell you anything. Course too small of for a me, sample size yeah 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 exactly Corsi for me has only value when you're talking about 
several games, like at least 10. It's not one of those ones that can show you a lot about an individual game other than this guy did really, really well in that game or really, really poorly in that game. Because for the most part, players will hover around 50 in a particular game, and that doesn't tell you anything. But over the course of a season, and I'll pull up, Right now, McKinnon's sitting at 63.3% Corsi. So when he's on the ice, oh my God. the Avalanche are are getting 63% of the shots attempted. 63 shots for, for every 34 shots against. Type That's point. insane, right? Over 47 games? like I, I... It's, it's, it's obscene. It's really good because I was going to yeah. say that the, the usual good level players hover around like 56, 57. Right, yeah. Like that's good. The reason I want, I talk so much about context is if you just pull up on Money Puck, you just go and check, all right, who's eating the NHL and Corsi. It's Kenny Agostino, who's got 75% Corsi. But he's been on the ice for four shot attempts. Three, four, and one against in one game played. That doesn't tell you anything. I made uh, oh. I made, I made Kenny Agostino a tuna tartare once. It works. It works. He seems like a good dude. And he actually has, like, it's bad that I'm using him today because he only played one game, but his underlying numbers are actually amazing. He's one of those guys that people just don't try like long enough. I remember particularly when he was in Montreal, he had like some of the best uh, numbers for any fourth liner in the NHL over like the 12 or 15 games that he, he played. he couldn't get in the lineup. Like yeah. amazing. And in the AHL, his numbers are always ridiculous. And then he played like two games last year for the Leafs and one this year, and they were always good. And Chris, I don't know if you would have the answer to this, but if his numbers are so good, why is he not being given more ice time? Well, I, I mean, in Toronto, I would say he's just so low on the – depth chart that it's tough but like when he was in new jersey they actually did play him and that was when rachel dory was there and i wonder if she had any influence on his playing because she was their one of their analytics uh specialists for a while but that is a good question Again, what... because we do get players like that and, and victor mete is an example on the back end and is it perlini brandon yep. perlini that's a, another darling yep uh, and uh the i think the other one is also a good shooter peary peary yes thank you yes peary is i always get them mixed up um, but I think both yeah. of them have good numbers. I've heard them both brought up, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, and so it's just, well, it's like it, it, Anthony brings up a good point. And like, this is such a hot button issue where it's the, the, the disconnect between analytics and, you know, the eye test or what, what NHL teams are actually doing. And like, why is that? Like if, if the advanced stats or these particular me- metrics are showing such good performance, like what's missing in between that's not translating. You know what I mean? Well, for for some teams, it's 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 as basic as they don't care about analytics. Like there there are teams that invest heavily in in learning these numbers and using them to their advantage. Like you wouldn't think about it, but like the Anaheim Ducks, Dallas Eakins is a huge analytics guy. It's important for almost all decisions. I know that with the Leafs, obviously Keith and Dubis, like they have the biggest budget for analytics in the NHL. But there are teams that don't care for it at all. Like like New Jersey, between Rachel Dory and Tyler Dello, they didn't care about it at all there was like two three years or there was nothing Edmonton still has very few people that are in that and more than that it becomes what you wanted your fourth line do you want your fourth line to be a skilled line or do you want it to be a big bruising line well if the answer for most people is big bruising those guys don't usually have the best hands or the best hockey IQ it's normal that they that they wouldn't want Kenny Agostino to be on that team do you can you kind of see where I'm going with that? Like for sure, I do wonder there's... about guys like like I'm looking at Peary and Perlini here, and just like their career stats. Like Peary's got 276 NHL games, 72 goals, 121 points. Perlini was 239, 46 goals, 76 points, and like they've they've gotten opportunity and or enough opportunity, and they've had enough games to and you know the, their coaches weren't necessarily giving them an ideal role, admittedly, but they've had enough games to show their worth at that point. 
So for guys like that, like they're not so much like the 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 stats on them sort of indicate players that would be able to to provide some scoring punch. No, like these are guys like the the advanced stats on those guys, if I remember correctly, sort of indicated guys that could potentially even be top six or certainly top nine players. No, what happens there is also the disconnect between the coaches eye test, which is the most important one of all. Right. And a lot of coaches don't like these players. Like the, the example that I'll give you, and it, it basically was the beginning of the rage for analytics was you'll remember him because he was both a hab and a leaf. Grabowski finished a season, the season he got bought out by the Leafs, he finished the season with a 57% Corsi on a team that was terrible, like 46 or 47% as a team. But he, when he was on the ice, they were getting 57% of the shots, which is awesome in general but even better for a team that's terrible and nobody liked him as a valuable player because it didn't look like he tried hard yeah that this there's a similar story with that with galchenia who doesn't always have good numbers but the the appearance of effort also sways images the, the coach it's always a gut feeling he, he, that'll never change in, the, in any of the near future because that the appearance of effort is what makes you think someone is trying or is good i, I know at it's, the leafs right now it's Nylander is the easy scapegoat because he never looks like he's trying but yeah his numbers are unbelievable he one of the best defensive forwards on the team but you wouldn't think that it's so and there's a so interesting the the disconnect there like in that specific argument like the 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 effort argument it's so weird that there's that big of a gap between like what the numbers show and what it looks like to the eye like i i can look at willie nylander knowing that and it changes the way you look at his game but if you're looking at him with no knowledge of analytics whatsoever like you're probably gonna get that impression because he does look a bit coasty out there you know like he does look like he's kind of not necessarily giving it his all. But then you look at a player like uh, Chris Russell is a great example, right? Chris Russell always looks like he's trying. Chris Russell. So so I was yeah, going to talk about, he's actually an example that I have in my notes in front oh, of nice. me here. But Chris Russell, his Corsi is absolutely terrible. But what do think? What do people say about him all the time? That he's such a great defenseman. Yeah. But what happens, and, and it, and it kind of answers your question about why these players don't get valued, is what do you think is defense? Yeah. Because in my books defense is when you don't have to play defense yeah if the puck is out of your zone and you're attacking what are the chances you get scored on when you're in the other zone yeah it's close to zero unless you have vesatoskal in this <laughs> so a for a guy cut. like chris russell the image is yeah he blocks shots yeah he defends front of the net but when he gets the puck he handles it like a hand grenade yeah. and he throws it out off the glass and coaches will cream their shorts over that 10 times out of 10 well the thing but what happens when you put when you put it out of the glass the other team takes the puck and they come right back at you. What have you solved in that situation? Like a Band-Aid fix. Well, exactly. Exa that's it's, a it. it's a Band-Aid yeah. fix. Whereas you're if you have a guy like... You're selling the problem and the solution, basically, right? Like you're creating all those opportunities for you to have to block. By playing poorly defensively or by not being able to, to hold on to the puck very well, you're creating all those shot attempts for you to block, right? Like it's, it's you're the reason that it's happening, but you're also, it's also like the, the blocks are also the reason you just got your contract. You know, like it's a weird situation. So, so then when we're talking about things like Corsi, like Chris Russell's Corsi is poor. It's yeah. 41, 42 every year because when he's on the ice, all that happens is other teams attempt to shoot at his net. Yeah. Sure, he blocks the vast majority of them, but there's still shot attempts. That's yeah. why his course is bad. It, it actually brings me to the next topic very easily, which is Fenwick. Now, you'll hear Fenwick often. It's another style of shot attempts like Corsi, except it does not count blocked shots. Because the theory here is those aren't actual scoring chances. There was a defenseman there, 
he blocked the shot. It actually has a little more predictability than Corsi overall because there is a significant number of shots that are blocked every game, and that is the opposite of defensive breakdown. That's what you want as a defenseman is to be able to block a shot against you. Fenwick is only shots that hit the net or shots that miss the net. No blocked shots. That's the only difference between the two. When Which, we're talking about... like. To me, that sounds like Fenwick is the better of the two. Like, it seems like that sort of weeds out one of the sort of red herrings the o- that Corsi. The takes only into difference is that Corsi will tell you who has possession more. Okay. Because even a blocked shot means the puck was on your stick. And, pos- and possession is an important part of the game. And there are teams that are starting to value possession quite a bit. Again, bring it back to Leafs because I'm a Leafs guy, but they don't dump the puck anymore or nearly as often. When, they, when they're about to change, the player with the puck skates to the red line, circles back, keeps the puck. The other players change. He dishes it off. Then the other guy changes. Right. So the possession is important for a lot of teams because, again, if you have the puck, you don't need to play defense. Yeah. That's a philosophy. That's a team philosophy, and that that'll change. That's the only difference. Chris, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you, but I, I can imagine that Chris Russell's Fenwick would look a lot better than his Corsi because he does. Yes, it models. does. It does. And I don't have it, but yes, there's a significant difference between his Corsi and his Fenwick. But it's still bad because for all the shots that he blocks, there's still people that get around him. He's not very. F- fleet of foot no so he's not he still no. he still gets quite a few chances against so his Fenwick is still not great just so you get a general idea like again the leader in the in Fenwick this year is Agostino because of the three shots for one against thing and they, none of them were blocked what a uh, but over 51 oh, sorry Fenwick over 51 games Patrice Bergeron has a 63.5 Fenwick for wow that'll tell you what you need to know about Patrice Bergeron is that his defending is super strong but a lot of it is stopping plays before there's a chance something that Mark Stone does very well too where they'll they'll pick the puck off you they'll intercept the pass like they, these are the type of things that prevent a shot attempt that is amplified in something like Corsi because and Fenwick because you're not even allowing them to get to the offensive part yeah Corsi Fenwick we're always looking to be over 50 you always want to have control of the shots you want to have control of possession of the puck yeah and the only when difference you're really is blocks, good right? you hit over 60 percent. and the only difference between the two is one takes blocks into account and the, uh take takes blocks into account and the other doesn't right exactly correct yeah yeah and one of the things I didn't mention at the beginning, but you'll see a lot of people talk about like, oh, he plays tough minutes or he plays easy minutes or he's got good wingers or he's got bad wingers. There's a lot of theories out there on what's most important. What seems to have the most correlation with success is the quality of your teammates, not the quality of your opposition. Who's on the ice with you is more important than who you're playing against. You can a guy like McDavid, that, right? for example, when he's yeah. on the ice with Chris Russell, his numbers are terrible. Jesus, even because Chris he Russell get... can ruin McDavid? Yeah, because even... Because Chris Russell can't get him the puck. Yeah. What yeah. is Mc, McDavid's not good at defense, and he's forced to continuously play defense. Yeah. Whereas, like, Eric Carlson in his prime, most of his time in the offensive zone, because he'd get the puck and it would be a clean exit. Wasn't he always gone. a bit of a controversial figure in the analytics like field? Or uh, Car- miss- well, Carlson and P.K. Subban we'll get to later, because I'll talk about some players that have arcs that are funny. And okay. we'll talk about little things that are important that when you see it, when we talk when sample size is going to be important for a lot of these things. But Eric Carlson yeah. is one of them that's like a big deal for that. Expected goals. So expected goals is calculated by a whole bunch of different analysts or mathematicians mostly because it's complicated math. Pashari might take, know because he's a genius. They take different things into account, no? Yeah. So yeah. So we'll, we'll get into that. Me. So basically yeah. what expected goals is, it's for every attempted shot on net there's a a value given to that 
shot that says it's this likely to be a goal if your shot was like in the literally on the goal line wide open net there's no one near you the puck is on your strong side let's say that's one it's guaranteed to go in that's as big a number as you can get the number gets smaller when you factor in like distance if there's a screen the pass beforehand so if it's a lateral pass some models have that as like a like a it would be like a one-timer type shot that would have more value uh shot from the point obviously is less value because it's farther way if it's a rebound the value is higher because you're close to the net and the goal is already sprawled so basically it's just the quality of the shot and it's given a value from zero to one most shots of any quality let's say are like 0.3 if you shoot from your own end it's going to be like 0.000001 what happens is you get throughout the season an accumulation of those 0.3s so if in a game you have four shots that are 0.3, well, then you'll have 1.2 expected goals that game. And if you score zero, then you're less than your expected goal total for that game. Right. And that that's what you were explaining to me recently. You need to weigh the expected goals against the actual production, right? Yeah. So you, so you, and you compare it over a whole season. So like, yeah. let's say this season I went with the best goal scorer of all time, Austin Matthews. He leads the league in expected goals with 28.4. But he's actually scored 38. So he's exceeded his expected goals by 10. Yeah. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you either Matthews is lucky or he's an elite shooter. It's obviously the first one, but go on. Because his history says in the last three years, he's always done more than 10 goals above expected. He's an elite shooter. So, Chris, if you can put that into information, it would basically mean like on a shot that let's say he had 0.3 chance of scoring a goal, a few times he's he's actually scoring. So he's getting a score of 1 where he's supposed to get an actual score of 0.3. So that's why he's so far above. It's because given all the factors, he shouldn't be scoring, but he still is. Exactly. Yeah, so, so even, I mean, yeah, I guess that's... that can segue into the factors. So uh, quickly, basically at Sport Logic, what I do is there's hundreds of, of events that happen throughout the game. So like a pass reception, a pass, a shot, a line carry, all these things are tagged per player, per team. And so when we talk about the factors that are given into the formula that creates expected goals. It seems like a crazy thing that you don't know how to track it, but actually the system is artificial intelligence. I'll tag the events and say which player, where on the ice. But when you actually compile this data, it turns it into information. It'll show the system knows if the shot is from a rebound, where the pass came from, how far away it is from the net, how like where you shot it on the net. So it calculates the shot angle. So all these things are, it, it's quickly done. It, like the way the technology is going now is this is being automated. Things like expected goals, they have so many factors that you can put into it, but sport logic, we're doing it like every game. And that's something that the team's are always looking at like we have a turnaround time at the end of each period we have to submit a report they're always checking the goal the expected goals and shots where they're coming from if they're in the slot and all that stuff that's so, crazy so that's that ends up being part of the the diff, the biggest issue that people have and you'll see it in in arguments about analytics is that publicly available data yeah. is flawed yeah. compared to private data yeah. a company like sport logic has a bunch of smart people like Pacheri accounting for every situation what happens in well NHL not only that ranks, though like they've got computers that are compiling this data yeah. automatically right like whereas i think exactly you're probably having whereas to do that in manually. the nhl what happens is you get particular people in each rink who do different tasks kind of like what Pacheri described but they do it on a, a less a less detail oriented scale so there'll be a guy who does like shots and he'll kind of tell you close to where the shot is so when we're talking about models about expected goals and the heat maps and stuff the issue that they have is that they can only use the publicly available data. 
Yeah. If the data is wrong, then the information that they've accumulated doesn't mean as much. That's why teams hire their own staff and hire sport logic to give them the proper data because well, not only would it not mean as much, it could out, it could like cause issues, right? Like it could be problematic if you're using data that's that's wrong and you're assuming that it's right and and making decisions based on that. Let's not say the data is like super wrong. No. But it's a, it's it's not as precise. Okay. And so there's there's situations where you see like some arenas have biases. Like I know that I like people hate including stats that involve Rangers and Montreal games because for whatever reason the stat counter will count like hits for Montreal players that aren't really hits. Oh, or man. In, in the Rangers case, the guy would always count shot distance a little bit farther than what it actually seemed like was actually happening. Ugh. And you can have a large scale problem. Like at the beginning of last year, I remember and Micah McCurdy, who does the heat maps, by the way, if you want to find them, hockeyviz.com. He's a math professor. He's got amazing data for hockey in general. And he also explains it quite well. But he was talking about last year how his maps always looked funky. It's as if no one was in the slot the entire year. And then when they went back, they found that a lot of the people who had entered and had entered the locations farther than they should have been. So up until like December, we had very flawed data. And then December they corrected everything this wouldn't happen if you were relying on sport logic or your own staff yeah what we'll see a lot of with expected goals is an expected goals for percentage same way we talked about Corsi percentage and Fenwick percentage if someone's on the ice what's the likelihood that their team is scoring versus the other team scoring similar to Corsi, you want to be over 50 a good team is like 55 56 because hockey in general is very back and forth even if you're watching daryl sutter play it's just the way that hockey is there's chances there's defensive mistakes all the time there will be expected goals for expected goals against if you're over 50 you're playing well you're getting the most important chances or so, high danger chances when you're seeing expected goals for percentage is that used more in relation to teams as opposed to players it's used for both so a lot of these things are being used for both now because more people are into the idea of using analytics yeah. And it, it's erasing some of the things that are retro and no longer useful, like plus minus, which I'll get to after. When we're talking about expected goals, all you need to think about is like the quality of the chances you're giving up, not just the fact that it's a shot. It's how good the shot is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a one-timer versus a shot from the point. It's a rebound versus a backhand from the corner that is going nowhere near them. You know what I mean? Like it, like the, the quality is important. And I, I think it's the most important one is it gives you more context about the kinds of shots that are being given up. Corsi has its value. Fenwick has its value. I like to look at the high quality scoring chances for and against, which is expected goals. And we talked about Matthews being really good and over his expected goals. A player can be unlucky and under them, or it can be they have a history of scoring less than usual. Take, for example, Brady Kachuk. He leads the league every year in expected goals and only scores about 30. Yeah, because he shoots the puck so goddamn much. But not only often, but most of his shots are rebounds, but he'll score on like the third or fourth rebound. Yeah. But the other two have really high expected value. So Oh, it's true. It, yeah. It that's, hurts his number. That's interesting. So he's just not the most efficient. He's not the scorer. most efficient scorer. Yeah. yeah. He's a good scorer, but he's not the most efficient scorer. Right. A guy like Matthews obviously is good because he scores on a on a big scale also. But like yeah. take for example, Arturi Lekkinen actually scores at a pretty good rate for the amount of expected goals he gets which is really weird because he looks like he can't score anything yeah but his value is more defensive than an is offensive the chances he gets on offense he usually actually converts the problem is he doesn't get that many he usually passes the puck instead of shooting i'm convinced he has like this weird forever untapped 
goal scoring potential not like in a big way or anything just like based on the success he, he, he had he teased everyone with his starting off with 18 yeah goals. he did this is all information so when people say they don't like analytics it's you're basically just saying you don't like added information it's where the divide is is how people use it and how they express it on twitter like if all the information you're getting is from twitter i think you need to do a little more research at the end of the day it's more information on a player on your team so you have to just be able to use it just as much as you're able to use the eye test and i think that's important for a lot of people getting into analytics don't just trust one or the other just use it as information and make your own decisions. Yeah. The use the it. Staff and yeah. Graph podcast has a really good motto for analytics. And this analy- analytics is salad. If you eat just the dressing, you're fucking crazy. And if you eat just the lettuce, you're boring. Yeah. The lettuce being the eye test, the dressing being analytics. Or vice versa. Yeah. It's yeah. a really good analogy. When you told me that one, it's just stuck. I, it's the perfect analogy. I just, I just want to touch on this quickly. You mentioned if you're, you know, if you're just looking on Twitter and getting your 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 numbers strictly from Twitter, you might want to expand your your horizons a little bit. Do you have any like direction that you would point people in specifically for gathering that information outside of Twitter? You know, like going any websites in particular that you're you you favor over others. To start off with a book called uh, A Fan's Guide to Hockey Analytics, written by Rob Volman. It's a f- fantastic book that actually goes in depth about each thing, Corsi, Fenwick, and also like things that we don't use as often in, in the Twitterverse, but are useful. Like how would you translate someone's points if they were in the queue? What would you expect them to get in the NHL? Or if they played in the Swedish Hockey League, what would you expect them to get in the NHL? His book explains every minute detail, but also gives you practical examples you can see on a page. As much as I can explain things to you, like from, you know, from mouth to ear, it doesn't show you enough. Having it on a page in front of you gives you more context than you can possibly imagine. So highly recommend reading that. If you want to learn about things like expected goals and how mathematicians calculate more fancy stats, Evolving Wild actually has an entire part of their website dedicated to their explanation and the math behind it. I don't understand half of it. The part that's not math is very well explained there. Okay. And then there's guys like uh, Dom Lachishan at The Athletic is very, very good. And his He's numbers great. are always yeah. in great context. If you read The Athletic, he he makes it easy for you to understand. I was just going to so. say, I always, whenever I read Dom's articles at The Athletic, I just feel like he's like holding my hand as I do it. His Twitter personality is very <laughs> mean, but his writing is He's excellent. not that. You got to... Yeah. You get, you got to read it. He's I'm just a gambling like Michael McCurdy loves the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, he's a big Minnesota Wild number one fan. Now. Yeah. Corsi Fenwick, expected goals. Corsi over 50%. That's what you want. Uh, sometimes you'll see, actually, sometimes you'll see Corsi labeled as Corsi for, Corsi against, and it, it'll just be the number of shot attempts. Then you have to do the math to figure out the percentage. But basically, okay. you want the shot attempts to be higher for you than they are against you. Straightforward. Fenwick, the same thing. Expected goals, you want to have more dangerous chances in the team against you over 50 percent. you'll see the same thing where you might have to do the math yourself but you always want your number to be higher than against you. and there are things as, like this is this is a question i actually wanted to ask is that do you feel like over time if you've got a strong understanding of analytics can that improve your eye test is that something that can improve your eye test and before you answer i wanted to just add that like i know there are certain things that you that are just too fast to even pick up on right like so there's things that you can't even 
you couldn't process with the eye even if you were trying to right and that's another angle that it's it's very valuable from that perspective because there's no other way to access it if you're not taking that approach your mind is always inclined to remember the bad things and this is yeah. where i wanted to talk about eric carlson and pk suban one of the things that the analytics people and i think hockey in general would understand if you can exit your zone cleanly and enter the other zone without a dump in that's going to make it easier for you to try and score you're scoring on the rush or you already have possession of the puck before getting in the zone yeah that's good these are good things you always want what happens is in the case of pga suban in montreal let's say he would have a hundred breakouts and 98 of them would be silky smooth but then you'd have two massive blow a tire leads to a goal against confirmation bias he's terrible yes but then then you think about chris russell where he'll make a hundred attempts and probably only 13 of them are clean which player do you think is worth more on defense well, the eye test will make you think it's Chris Russell because he blocks shots because he seems to advert the danger. But the answer is P.K. Suvan because you want that the fact that 98% of the time you're no longer playing defense. Yeah, which like, I think Morgan, Mor- Morgan Riley is a, is an enigma in, in Toronto. Like he is in his own end. I don't even know how to describe how terrible he is, <laughs> but it happens so little because when he gets the puck, they make a clean exit and that's it. And the few times that he's back there, well, now we have TJ Brody to do the crocodile thing, and we're fine. Should we mention that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think P.K. Subban is not the analytics darling that he used to be, right? No. No, no, no. no. The, so. When he when he hurt, yeah, so that, I should clarify that. When he hurt yeah. his back in Montreal, great up until then. He had a good year in Nashville, and the year they made the cup final, after that, a just below replacement level player. Yep, which is alarming. And... I, I, would ass- I would assume it's injury-related. Obviously, P.K. Subban is very talented. It's yeah. just, he's, ne- he's never been the same. It's one of those, que- you know, just... you wonder that with him, Dowdy, Carlson, you know, and there's there's factors with each of them that you can point to and be like, it's probably this, but I'm just curious what yeah. exactly led to it for each one. We'll never know. Okay, last one, plus minus. Yeah. Why do we hate plus minus? Dave you hear all the time how important it is when you hear how impactful someone's defense is, like Joel Edmondson, if I hear about his plus minus again, I might hang myself. <laughs> Why does that number exist? Well, it was the first time people tried to figure out the ability of some, someone to impact a game on offense and on defense together. But what would you think? Like, just tell me what you think, Spence, plus minus is. I mean, it's goal differential, right? Like, it's how many more goals you were on the ice for or against over the game or a season or whatever the time period is, right? But w- would you... Would you be surprised to know that it's not just that? Probably. What else is it? What am I missing? So we always assume that it's goal for, goal against. Most people assume that includes a power play. It doesn't. No. But it does include goals against while you're shorthanded. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. So the official wording, I took it from the NHL website because it's easier this way. A player is awarded a plus each time he's on the ice when his club scores an even strength or shorthanded goal. He receives a minus... If he's on the ice for an even strength or shorthanded goal, this includes six on five play. Interesting. Okay. The I difference know that. in these numbers is considered a player's plus minus. Ah. What is this? What's the flaw with this here? Well, one, I remember in the years before Vetchkin won a cup, the argument was always his plus minus is terrible. Yeah, but he had 14 goals on the power play. And none of those goals count on his plus minus. Yeah. And he's on the ice to defend a one goal lead. Sometimes you give up a goal. It happens. It's not an indication as to how bad you are on defense. Weren't those the best years yep. when everyone was just trying to find reasons to shit on Ovechkin for the fact that he hadn't won a yeah. cup yet? Let's hate on the best goal scorer of all time <laughs> yeah. other than Austin Matthews. The reason we don't like it is it's not fully indicative of a player. So Taylor Hall, when he was in Edmonton, it just absolutely putrid plus minus. But the rest of his team was straight up tire fire garbage. What, what about that is his fault? We 
all we talk about all the time is hockey is a team sport. Yeah. One player does not change the game the way he does in basketball or soccer. Taylor Hall on his own is quite the good player. So plus minus, you can get a minus for stepping off the bench. Uh, in the Leafs game against the Jets last week, Shifley took a really lazy skate to the bench. Lowry jumped on, but by then, Matthews and Marner were on a two-on-one, which, I mean, can you believe they actually shot on a two-on-one? Unbelievable. Because uh, it wasn't but, a two no, that's why they shot. Exactly. So, but Lowry got a minus. How is that Lowry's fault? It's not. You know what I find? I find it silly that, like, with plus minus, the aficionados will use it just like as like this is what it says. It says he's 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 a positive player to have on the ice. It's good to have him on the ice. He's he's probably good defensively. Whatever they think it says. Where, like, even with with advanced stats, like you've mentioned multiple times, like you need to take into account various factors right like if you're looking at a guy who's playing with you mentioned valden shushkin if you're playing with great line mates that's going to boost your even underlying numbers and your analytics and, and those metrics so i don't understand why with i something wonder as fucking, i wonder which player joel edmondson is playing with that's so exceptional that's supposed right? to be amazing right oh my god exactly it's almost so like, like jeff petrie is one of the best analytics defensemen in the last 10 years yeah you're, you're being even more narrow-sighted with an even like with the most primitive you know if you want to call it an analytic or a metric or what advanced stat you're, it's like one of the most primitive there are there that's out there. You're intentionally like putting on blinders and not even taking into account those factors. And even if you take those factors into account, plus minus is still flawed, right? So it's so just a what what plus minus stat. tells us is how often a player is on the ice. It yeah. doesn't tell us anything about his quality. What tells you more about his quality is the stuff we've talked about. Yeah, is it's his team's possession. His expected goals for percentage when he's on the ice. Yeah. Even something as basic as five on five goals for percentage actually gives you a much better indication of what he's like when he's on the ice than plus minus because it doesn't incorporate goals when he's scored on when he the other team is an empty net or Gorzi scores on when he happens on a PK and Ovechkin scores. That gives you a negative. But my God, if Ovechkin doesn't score on the power play, it's because something bad happened. He's yeah. money in the bank for that. Yeah. That doesn't tell me anything about how good you are. And I think if we can get that one out first, we're probably in a good place. Yeah. The conversation we wanted to have here was that you understand that Corsi and Fenwick have really stupid names. All they mean is shot attempts for and against. Expected goals is literally exactly what it sounds like, how quality the chances you're giving up are. And that plus minus sucks. If you retain anything from this episode here is those things. And also you got to hear from the amazing Anthony Pacheri, who just makes everyone better around him all the time. So thank you for coming on. Anthony, this is uh, yeah, this is awesome. It, honestly, really good insight for the the expected goal stuff. I I absolutely was really glad to hear that. Yeah, I wish I could show you guys like what it looks like in in the log there, but it, it's very detailed. Like you would be impressed on how detailed it gets. Nice. Hey, don't get yourself fired. We we want you to have a job. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm not gonna get myself fired. I'm not telling you anything that uh, it shouldn't be expected of a company yeah. that does this. It is interesting to get that insight though, and like the just to know that it's all like automated at this point, even is is yeah. incredible. Yeah, it, it's really cool. Yeah, that's really. Those people are much smarter than us, eh, Spencer? Yeah, well, computers are. Uh, they can <sighs> fucking do anything, man. That's crazy. Just to be able to have all of that automatically tracked blows my mind. But, yeah. yeah. All right. Well. Um, <laughs> we plan on doing more of these eventually. Yeah. And we'll talk about things that are less obvious, like war and. You'll see Gar, but it's goals above replacement. And Dom Lushishin has an amazing metric uh, called game score. That kind of stuff we'll talk about later. If there are any more questions, you can 
ask me or any of us Spencer, shoot Tyler. us a yeah shoot us a question on or twitter sure. if you want at uh, h scratch and that's scratch with a k and yeah we'll we'll be happy to to answer it on the show when we do the the future analytics episode all right this was uh this was awesome i i, I learned a ton personally and i'm glad that i have sort of a bit of a bible that i can refer back to and listen to and pick through if i need to get a refresher so thank you very we much should, for, we for should, doing this we guys. should eventually like edit this over a powerpoint yeah and they could have like that'd be so yeah that's that'd a be good perfect. idea that'd be great that's a, that's a summer break when I have nothing to do type. Yeah, well, we hey, we need summer projects. That's that'd be a good one. That's a good idea. We're uh, we're kind of out of time here. We don't have much else to talk about. So, all right, you can find Ty on Twitter at at Tyler O'Connor ninety five. You can find Chris on Twitter at at Chris six or seven. But don't do that. It's probably better for your mental health. I like that. Uh, you can find Anthony on Twitter at Anthony Pasheri, and you can find me on the Healthy Scratch Twitter. So. This has been uh, this has been good, guys. I'm glad we did this show, and uh, yeah, thank you again to everybody involved, except you, Ty, sitting there listening, auditing the class, just Bum. soaking it all in, <laughs> soaking it all in. <laughs> all right, that's good stuff, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Stay healthy out there, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>